and welcome to the latest episode of Jumpcast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jumpcut Online. My name is Sarah and I am your host for another Disney Classics episode and I am joined by my co-host Barry. Barry, my favourite Disney film. I'm so excited. We had my favourite all the way back at film number five and you have had to wait 31 more films after that. We're on 36. Mm -hmm. uh 1998 is the Mm -hmm. year we are uh 56 years after bambi and uh it is the well you you can tell them the name i mean they clicked the title of the episode we told them last (laughs) week literally everyone knows but tell them anyway you deserve this it is mulan and i've been really looking forward to getting to this uh because as i mentioned on our very very first episode this is my favorite disney film um, and I can't remember if we had this conversation on pod or off pod, but I distinctly remember saying to you, I'm not sure if Mulan will still be my favourite by the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, I was a liar. Um, and <laughs> it absolutely, as it stands, is still my favourite uh, Disney film. But we'll we'll get into all of the good stuff about this film and uh, and how much I love it and how much you love it as well. So, I do. Um, yeah, go we are we're back into uh glorious i mean we haven't really been disagreeing a whole lot mm. uh but i think in in the last couple one of us has felt stronger to, i mean obviously this is not my favorite disney film um it's not <laughs> in my like all-time tops it is excellent and i totally get it um so i think this will be a pretty enthusiastic podcast i've got some issues that mm-hmm. maybe you'll get mad at me over uh if i can remember to state them they're not they're not, they're not very major <laughs> um and uh it'll be fun Okay, yeah. I believe it or not, I have one issue with this film, and and I'll get to that. But it's so minor. <laughs> um, but yes, like in the thirty seventh minute, there's like one flicker, <laughs> there's one... one frame that's a little bit. Off. It really is as it's not quite as nitpicky as that, but it is pretty minor. But um, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Um, so yes, we are talking about Mulan today, and uh, if you didn't know, the plot synopsis is as follows. To save her father from death in the army, a young maiden secretly goes in his place and becomes one of China's greatest heroines in the process. Um, Barry, as always, you've got some some history and some facts and stuff to give us, so uh, take it away. I uh, I do, and I will try and keep it brief, as uh, it would be quite brief because you know we have a we, you, you in particular, I'm sure, <laughs> have a lot to um, have a lot of wisdom to impart in in Mulan. But here's some some there's some fun stuff about making Mulan. Um, so this is based on the poem of the legend of Hua Mulan. Um, as we know, Disney loves creative license and taking creative liberties. We talked about that um, pretty much every time there's an adaptation, which has been almost every single Disney movie. So this is not new news. Uh, and it won't shock you to hear that it it uh, is not the most accurate. In fact, they kind of made a whole other Mulan more recently to kind of address the fact that it's not as accurate. Um, and originally, the story was very different and a lot more about romance and, and a matchmaking and, and all of that. But they quickly shelved that to go more into the, the legend of Juan Mulan. Um, as we know from some of the other films, like Last Week in Hercules, when the film is kind of based somewhere that isn't America, which has only happened um, a small number of times, uh, they usually take a research trip there. So they took a big three-week research trip to China. Uh, it really intru- influenced a lot of the design elements, um, a lot of the things, some examples of the moon gate, um, which leads, which is that like circular 
doorway that leads into the garden in, in Mulan's family home. They they saw that, and the idea behind a moon gate is that kind of like one person would go in at a time, kind of like rid yourself of distractions and just focus on the, the beauty of nature. So that, that was really key for them. They wanted that in there. Um, when they were on the Great Wall of China, they saw all they could really see was kind of flags everywhere. So the influence of you seeing a lot of flags in the movie is very much uh, indebted to that and some other moments as well. Uh, but they found themselves two years working. This was a five-year project, Mulan. They started in, in 1993, uh, being released in 1998. And they, they found that after a couple years of working on Mulan, they were really struggling with the look of the film. Uh, they just they just couldn't get it down. So they brought in Hans Bacher, who, when I say brought in, they didn't bring him from outside Disney. He was at Disney at the time. Uh, he had been doing visual development and a lot of concept work on a lot of other um films in the renaissance particularly um, aladdin so his visual development sketches really kind of eliminated unnecessary details and, and focused a lot on atmosphere creating this kind of simplicity but obviously still complex but bringing in kind of the disney style with the essence of china kind of similarly to the way tyrus wong's work functioned in bambi way back it's fun we get to connect our two favorite films on this very exciting day um <laughs> And Bonker's work on, on Mulan was really, really influential and, and really answered that question they were trying to answer over what the film would look like. And he was credited as the production designer on the film. And then another person who was really essential to the look of the characters was Chen Yi Chang, uh, who grew up in, in Taiwan and actually was very familiar as a child with the, the legend of, of Hua Mulan. So this was a really exciting moment for him to be involved with. Uh, and he was a key character designer and wanted like a really wide range of, of characters in, in different shapes. You can kind of see that particularly in the, the Gang of Three uh, and how there's kind of like a square, triangle and circular shape with those with those three guys and all sorts of different body types and, and faces in Mulan. And he was really behind that. And he noticed a lot of uh, curvature and, and elegance in the Chinese art and Chinese architecture. And he really wanted to bring that into the characters so without Hans Bacher and Chen Yi Chang this movie probably would have sucked so <laughs> shout out to them for helping I'm not sure if that's possible it's still really fun but the the look and the feel of Mulan the characters and the environments would would be very different without the two of them um, but and really the really key thing about Mulan that kind of sets it apart from every film that's come before it is that this was the very first Disney film to be made primarily in almost entirely really uh, in the Florida animation studio uh, we've talked recently in quite a few films of the Renaissance about how roughly 10 minutes or so of the film would be animated in Florida and the challenges of kind of bringing it back and forth between California and, and Florida. California is, of course, where the previous 35 films have been made um, and occasionally some other studios in Australia or France or Toronto uh, in Canada would help to animate. But usually Florida was responsible for about 10 minutes and this time they were given the whole movie. Uh, and the studio opened in 1989, uh, and the idea behind it was to add to the attractions at the theme park because um, it was based in one of the Disney uh, theme parks in Disney World of Disney MGM Studios, which is now Disney, well, it's now just called Hollywood Studios, um, but it's still there. Well, the, the, the theme park is still there. This studio is no longer there. Um, but it was kind of built as a tourist attraction and a functional Hollywood studio. They wanted to make, you know, big time movies there. They eventually found that that was really difficult to do and kind of impractical to make proper live action movies in a theme park. Uh, so they quickly scrapped that. However, as we know from Mulan and two others, uh, Lilo and Stitch and Brother Bear to come, they were still able to animate movies there. 
and you could actually visit um if you were at the disney park you could actually visit the studio at any time but if you were there during the week during operating hours uh you could actually see through a one-way mirror you could see um the animators working on their their films and I would imagine the experience was kind of less than ideal for animators. This idea that while you're trying to really get those creative juices flowing, there are some kids and <laughs> families of all kinds just kind of staring at you and watching you do it from above. Um, however, as someone who was very, very fortunate enough to go and see this and, and see them in action, I can tell you it was the greatest thing. And I do not care if they not, did not enjoy it because <laughs> I had the best time in the whole wide world uh, watching these people draw. It was very cool. I think we went in about probably like 97 or so. And I, I feel like they were probably working on, on Brother Bear. And I remember seeing like concept art um, this might have been when we went in 2000. We used to go fairly often because um, the Toronto airport to Orlando is like three hours and it's not very, it was not very far uh, to get to when you are in Canada, luckily, or in Ontario at least. Um, but yeah, we, we went a few times on in the studio and I, I'm pretty sure we saw, um, I remember seeing like concept art for, for Home on the Range. So it was a very cool experience uh, and one that I'm, I'm very grateful for. It sadly uh, no longer functioning, but I believe the building is still there. I don't really remember, but the it is no more, but it was a big deal at the time. Um, yeah, and some fun behind-the-scenes drama, which we love. We love some drama um, <laughs> in Mulan is that they originally had Stephen Schwartz, uh, who did po the, the lyrics for Pocahontas and Hunchback, uh, was brought in to do the songs for Mulan in 1994. And following the research trip, to China, he was contacted by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who, as we know, is no longer, this was the year he left Disney, um, was contacted by Katzenberg, now at DreamWorks, to write songs for the Prince of Egypt, which he accepted. Uh, but Peter Schneider, who, as we know, was the president of feature animation at Walt Disney Studios, was absolutely furious uh, and threatened because, as, as we also know, we know a lot of things now, um, <laughs> Schneider and Katzenberg had a really ugly falling out and... I would say at this time, at least, to say they despised each other was probably an understatement. Uh, but Schneider was furious and threatened to pull Schwartz's name from all the promotional t materials for Hunchback and Pocahontas, because, of course, this is 94 and, and those films were about to be released, uh, if he didn't drop Prince of Egypt. And, of course, Schwartz said that was ridiculous, uh, refused to do that. He left Mulan and didn't return to Disney until 2007, where he did the lyrics for Enchanted. Um, so they eventually brought on Matthew Wilder and David Zippel. Zippel did the lyrics for Hercules um, to do the songs, and they wrote five songs and a sixth for Mushu, uh, which was eventually scrapped when Eddie Murphy was cast, who I assume we'll be talking about quite a bit soon. Um, the <laughs> film was pretty successful worldwide. It made $304 million, uh, but what the seventh most successful movie of 98. But what they were really angry about at Disney is that it was the second most successful family movie. Sarah, I don't want to put you on the spot because it's not an easy answer, but do you know what the most successful family movie of 1998 was? Um, ooh, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be like last week again when it was the answer was Titanic and I should have known. And not that the answer <laughs> this week is Titanic, but like you'll tell me and it will be incredibly obvious. It, it, is, it is a studio that Disney now owns. Uh, it was A Bug's Life, uh, which made about $35 million more worldwide than Mulan did. And believe me when I tell you that Disney was not happy about losing. They, <laughs> it, it's one thing if they're not the most successful movie of the year in total. They're fine with that. But to not be the most successful family movie of the year is not something they're keen on. And probably one of the many reasons they ended up acquiring Pixar. And Pixar is now theirs. 
though. Take that's what you get for beating Disney. They will eventually <laughs> just eat you up and uh, and will not spit you out. They'll keep you. Um, and one of the interesting, a couple of the interesting names that I haven't mentioned who worked on story for Mulan, uh, Dean Dubois or Dubois, uh, was co-head of story, and Chris Sanders was one of the, I believe, five or six people credited with the screenplay. Um, and you may know their names because they went on to write and direct Lilo and Stitch. And perhaps even more famous for, which I think they are more famous for now, uh, they went on to DreamWorks and they wrote and directed How to Train Your Dragon 1, 2, and 3. And uh, that's a little bit on uh, Mulan. <sighs> there is. I, I, firstly, I'm exceptionally jealous that you got to have that experience of oh, going so cool. <laughs> to Disney and seeing the animators because when I watch some of the special features um, on the Blu-ray, which are plentiful, let me just say. Yeah, um, they literally just took everything. I don't think they added a single feature. It is just, if you have the DVD, you can also watch that because it is the exact same, but it is very mm-hmm. plentiful. Yeah, there's so many little like featurettes and stuff and they showed like the studio because I think then there was this thing that like the because it was in Florida, the animators spent a lot of time just kind of like in their breaks, popping off to the park and going on rides. And I was like, that's cute. Um, And then I was also like, oh, I wonder if like you if on the flip side, if you were a visitor to the park, if you would then get to go and mm-hmm. see the animators and go into the studio. So I am delighted to hear that that was a thing, but I am now like retrospectively really incredibly jealous of young child Barry who got to have that well, experience. Well, I wish I, I wish I was like at least ten years older because there was also a shop mm. that like you could like buy like art that like they had drawn in the studio. Oh my gosh! And obviously, like five six, I must have been ninety seven. I would have been almost five. And then we went again, I think in 2000, where I was like seven, eight. And you do not appreciate, you appreciate like seeing them draw. It's cool. And you're like, oh, mm. cool. They're drawing movies I like. Um, but if I went now, I would, I would love, I wish, I don't know if that store is still there. I don't think it is. Um, but I would love to have been in that store when I was like my age now, because I would lose all of my money. I was going to say. It would be so, my, <laughs> my house would be covered. Sorry, George. My house would be covered, like ceiling to floor yeah <laughs> in, in Disney art, and it would be very cool but i didn't i wasn't lucky enough but yeah no it was it was amazing i'm guessing based on the timeline they must have been maybe doing some finishing stuff on mulan mm. um and then in 2000 probably would have been like lilo and stitch and and brother bear so but I, but i have i have like a distinct memory of seeing concept art and like um one of those like stat those like clay statues they make of one of the mm. cows from Home on the Range, whether that yeah. was just brought in from um from California to show off to people visiting, or that was because there was a bit there was a bit in the tour where they were like what's coming in the future, obviously. Mm. Um, and Home on the Range was definitely one of those. Uh, so I don't know if I guess we'll find out around the time around two thousand four whether they contributed minutes to the film or if it was just brought in from California to show off. But yeah, it was it's a very cool memory and something I'm very grateful mm. uh, to have done. Yeah, and <laughs> if that existed now and we went, I would honestly dread to think how much money we would drop in that. Yeah, store. and they would have to they would have to <laughs> they would have to like call security to remove us because we would not want to leave. Yeah, these two people have just bought every single print uh that we have and we're not sure that they're allowed to do that. We need someone to remove them. <laughs> Other customers want to make purchases. So like we deliberately cost charged them so high that like we didn't think anyone would ever buy the whole shop that they've done it. <laughs> They've done it. They've uh, <laughs> it's finally happened. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's let's get stuck into talking about Mulan because, as you could probably imagine, I am just 
so excited to be talking about this film. And one of the things I wanted to start off talking about was, again, this is something that we've mentioned on previous episodes, but how our experiences of watching a film are sometimes different now doing what we're doing, which is watching all of them in in order and i again i think we had this conversation off mic but last week i remember saying to you like oh i wonder if my experience with mulan is going to be any different this time and it was um i didn't suddenly uh hate it or (laughs) anything insane like that um if at all possible i loved it even more than i than i had previously but what i noticed and i hope i can phrase this right was just that this film is so much better for having just watched hercules the week before Mm -hmm. um and i and i'm i'm saying this as someone who does really like hercules and and we we spoke at length um in that episode about the things that we didn't like and some of these sort of really small nitpicky attention to detail things like the, the contact between sandal and rock and yet it not sort of kicking up any dust or stones or anything like that and that was one of the things that sort of just took me out of it a little bit as the the detail didn't seem to be quite there but all of the problems i had with hercules seemed to be rectified in mulan like the animators had gone into the future listened to us talking about the previous film on a podcast going through all the (laughs) disney classics and had gone noted okay writing these things down great point sarah love what you said about the 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 rocks and stuff okay yeah we'll we'll sort that out and then they did it and they just it just it made me so happy and obviously that is not an experience i would have ever had watching mulan before um because i think even if you sort of did a double bill of 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 hercules and mulan that isn't necessarily what would jump out at you but the way we've been doing this and going it into it in the detail that we have been and really looking out for those things just made me have such a great time with with this film this time around and um there's another aspect as well with the crowds that i i think we'll get onto in a in a little bit because that was something we brought up in in hunchback but yeah, did, did you kind of have a similar experience watching this and, and similar thoughts? Yeah, well, first off, I, I wrote, um, based on that crowd thing, topsy-turvy walked so Mulan sequence in the Imperial City could soar. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think I basically kind of watched this and was like, this is like, if they fixed all the mistakes in Hercules, which again, it's, it's fun, but I think mm-hmm. Hercules is fairly forgettable um, and kind of like mid-tier it's a good, it's a nice, solid movie, but it, I don't think it's one that will like stay in your memory for very long. Case in point, mm. I've, I, it's already kind of fading for me, except some of the songs. Um, but yeah, Mulan is, is it kind of nails, we've been talking a lot in the last couple, especially Hunchback, um, about the kind of balance in, in tone and, and getting that tone right, and I feel like Mulan has really nailed that. Um, mm. And I think that's one of the really maybe even the strongest aspect of Mulan is it is it gets what it's trying to do it's it has its moments where it's serious um but it's always fun and it's not it's not serious and dark enough that like the comic relief 
feels out of place mm-hmm. uh, because the comic relief is constant in this movie. It is from like the kind of the first moment to the last. It doesn't really end. And even if without Mushu, who, by the way, wasn't really supposed to be in this movie, um, but Roy Disney kind of demanded that they have a, a, a comedy sidekick because as we've seen in the last, all of these films really is that there's a comedian playing um, a, a lovable sidekick. This time it's it's the wonderful Eddie Murphy. Uh, last time, Danny DeVito, you know, and this kind of all started with, with Robin Williams in, in Genie. And we had, you know, Jason Alexander um, as one of the gargoyles. And, you know, it's it's been a very strong trend of the 90s. It's really kind of like, it's almost like a box ticking exercise for Disney that they have to have some sort of comedian, which I believe does indeed, I can't remember who voices Turk in Tarzan, but I'm 99% sure it absolutely continues mm. um, with, with Tarzan. And I think it ends there. But they have a pretty strong streak of movies where they're like we need to have some comedian except pocahontas because that was their serious serious capital s serious prestige movie um where we need like a big major comedian of the 1990s to voice a sidekick or else we cannot have this movie apparently <laughs> um so you know mushu is there but even without mushu all a lot of the characters are really funny mulan is frequently amusing like the the, the gang of three is hilarious um, I mean, Harvey Firestein is one of them. How, what more could you want from anything? Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're, they're really, there's a lot of fun in this movie, and it knows it's fun, and it balances the more serious aspects with the fun better than most Disney films. Yeah, this it, Mulan really kind of course corrects all, I would say, the problems that we had with, like, the last two films. So the, a major problem that we had with Hunchback was that it didn't, balance that very very serious and dark tone with the comedic elements it just something about it seemed off where it just really didn't fit in at all and we we could you know entirely scrap the gargoyles and probably have a much better film as a result of it um and then with um hercules again it, it was very very light in tone but it was lacking that sort of thematic punch or those sort of real like small details in the animation and Mulan takes both of those criticisms and is like, okay, we are going to perfectly balance this really um, quite serious story about uh, um, honor and family and war and have those comedic elements in it as well and perfectly balance both of those. We are going to make sure that those small, tiny details that you love are in there. And we are just going to make this have all of those things that you love and appreciate about disney films and it's just i i yeah i i love that i i love that i love this film already and yet watching it this time was just like i just wanted to applaud (laughs) i wanted to be like thank you disney thank you for seeing like what went wrong with those ones and maybe they didn't think anything was wrong with those ones and this is you know just just Something, something, pers- well, <laughs> something personal to us that we've sort of noticed but I think, those things. You know, but... when we talk, so when we talked about Lion King, I think you make a good point though, because I think when we, you know, we talked about Lion King and how mm. they were kind of the ones who had like the chip on their shoulder, because everyone was like, Pocahontas will be the movie, the Lion King is going to be like some animal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who cares? And then the people in Lion King were like, well, you know what? How about we make the most critically acclaimed animated movie of all time, the most successful animated movie of all time, which is still hand drawn, the most successful animated movie of all time mm. uh, to this day, in now 2021. Um, and they were like, how do you like that? And I, I feel like maybe, you know, I, the, the Florida studio probably had a bit of a chip on its shoulder and something that they wanted to prove. Obviously, they, they, they had um, a lot of the animators 
from Florida or so from California work on this, like Mark Hen, who's done all our, not all, but a lot of the princesses. Uh, it was a supervising animator for Mulan. Um, you know, Ruben Aquino did Shang and Fali. Um, Aaron Blazy did Yao and the Ancestors. We have you know a lot of the guys that we've seen from past films being key animators there. But lots of people in Florida had only worked on a few minutes of past films, and now mm-hmm. they had the opportunity to really bring it home and and, and do. An entire film while California was working on on you know Tarzan and Fantasia 2000 and, and Dinosaur and, and all that stuff so I, I have a feeling it's the similar kind of you know chip on your shoulder really wanting to prove yourself this mm-hmm. is their first movie really um, mm-hmm. as a studio and obviously it would still be branded as Disney and the people watching it won't be like oh this is a totally different studio it's not like it's um, a DreamWorks first film or Illumination or anything like that it's, it's still the same company but this is a essentially with obviously some similarities, but a lot of the people, hundreds of the people working on this, it's something like 700 people in total, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Again, thinking about like the 10 people that worked on Jungle Book, you know. <laughs> um, but going back now, you have 700 people working on Mulan and 400 of them were in, in Florida. Mm. Yeah, that's, you... that's crazy. And these are people who, you know, really get to prove themselves for the first time. And I think you can feel that. That's absolutely what I was just about to say. And I was like, you really get that sense of them wanting to prove themselves with this. And that's, just evident from from the moment the film starts and i think that one thing that really struck me and this sort of came from watching the special features as well was just that attention to detail and wanting to be not only really respectful of of the culture and everything that they were depicting but also those those small elements that that using of that sort of traditional chinese painting style which we sort of see in the opening um and in one of the song sequences as well and with the the casting as well just making sure that you know for the most part that that you know the the actors uh voicing the characters are are asian and it's obviously it seems like a, a now obviously mostly, there is like yeah like mostly yeah. <laughs> now there is like outcry <laughs> when films aren't like cast properly or as they should be um but I'm, I'm I'm glad that even like at the time, like even in the 90s, like for the most part, you know, Disney was sort of saying, OK, we we recognize that this is a story that is really important in Chinese culture. It is based on a on a, uh, a is it a ballad or like a story or a legend or something about yeah, a, this a poem. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's good. It's a great point. They did it in Pocahontas as well. They're, they're clearly mm. they're clearly learning from their copious copious amount of mistakes yeah and and bettering as well because we had that was obviously one of the big criticisms of pocahontas is like historical accuracy and obviously that's slightly different as that was a a real figure and and as far as we know mulan is 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 not real but it is uh it is a beloved sort of story um Mm -hmm. that people know and uh there's a special feature actually where they read i believe the the um the poem and it's really beautiful and it's really worth watching that because they do stay pretty true to that and certainly the the essence and the themes and everything else of that sort of original that original story that original poem they do they do keep in this they've they've mm-hmm. not sort of done too much like disneyfying of the of the story that, that i which, can tell which anyway they are i'm prone sure to do i mean there there are like for example there is no mushu yes um, yeah. or any sort of companion dragon um mm. or you know cricky or or any of those um but the the general gist of it is the same like she mm-hmm. 
takes her father's place um, to fight in this war because obviously he's 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 no longer able to do so, mm. um, even though he wants to. And you know she kind of takes his place and 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 is in drag. This film has lots of drag. We'd love to see it. Um, <laughs> and you know she takes the she assumes the role of a of a man and and saves China basically. Mm. yeah as you're talking about drag a thing that i was reading earlier was that um this is uh would you believe it the only disney film that mentions uh, or has the phrase cross-dressing in it and um that was uh why it almost earned a pg rating because of that. also they talk about concubines i mean yeah it's <laughs> also it's it, actually this is kind of worth because we've talked about like sexual innuendos and, and adult stuff kind of being in a film i feel like this has the most so far um there's mm. a there's a great line um, when Mulan is in, or a great moment, a really funny visual gag, um, when Mulan is like in the water and then the guys come to join and obviously they're bathing, so they're all naked. This film has mm-hmm. a lot of nudity. Obviously, you don't see anything um, explicit, but it has a lot of implied nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets out and she's behind the horse and she's like, I never want to see a naked man again. And then like <laughs> dozens of naked men come running by um, the moment she says it, which is which is really funny. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they mention conc- concubines, cross-dressing, um themes that are things that are not uh bad but they're not um or wrong but they're not things that like a five-year-old would be familiar with yeah definitely (laughs) and like actually one of the things i wrote in my one of the things i wrote in my notes was just like is mulan a a drag king because uh progressive and i'm here for it basically (laughs) um but we 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 talk about more about actually uh, before i don't want to forget because there's a great moment where um Actually, let's talk about it later because I think it plays into like kind of the end of the film and, and when when more drag comes in, okay. um, <laughs> traditional male performing as as more traditional male performing as female drag because I think it's an important message overall with Mulan and, and female empowerment and, and all that. I think it works really well. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's there's a moment in the um, what's the song called? The, the girl we're fighting for, mm-hmm. where they're like, you know, what we've been missing the most, something like that. Um, while we're at war, it's like wow. <laughs> Because that whole that whole um, film of oh, that whole song is about how they want to you know find a, a woman to to love, uh, and it's it's that that line is quite heavy uh, in terms of innuendo and and sexual hinting if you will, mm. um, and this film definitely has a lot of fun with that. But I think it it does it really well in a way that like I don't think a parent would be like oh my gosh my child's been exposed to this horrible stuff. I mean there's parents who like ban all Disney from their houses for reasons I can't I couldn't explain. Um, so, you know, you can't always win, um, but I feel like this is a pretty, it does a really good job, is what I'm trying to say, of balancing that more adult stuff with, with things that work for kids, and it does a, it's one of the better examples of kind of, like, fun for the whole family entertainment. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I was just, um, as you were speaking, I was, um, I brought up the lyrics to the first song, which is Honor to Us All, and there's, that song is basically just about how the the women in this in this society are obviously then sort of like presented to the matchmaker and their entire purpose and reason for being is um is to bear sons and it's it's quite it puts it straight out there that you know the 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 woman's sort of purpose in this society is um breeding it has that line in the in the song where it's like good breeding and a tiny waist and it's like oh okay um and the you know the 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 way of them serving the emperor is a man by bearing arms and a girl by bearing sons and yeah i 
I really, oh God, I, I just, I love this film so much. So I'm, apologies if I just like gush about it so much. But Mulan as a character, I think is so great and so. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. That is so, so great and so progressive in in terms of sort of taking those expectations and the film really outlining what those expectations are of her and then subverting them as well and and not just doing that but also subverting them in a way that is pretty progressive as well in terms of you know she spends the majority of the film sort of uh in disguise or identifying as a male and yet there is still that sort of um chemistry i guess between her and shang even before he knows that she is female and this film says a lot of great things about sort of um gender identity and expectations as well particularly in in this in this culture and in this society of what a woman is expected to do what a man is expected to do and it's very it is very adult in its themes i'm sure children get a lot out of this as well because of mushu and and because of all those sort of um gags and the fact that it is pretty light-hearted but i get i certainly get more out of this as an adult than i think i ever did as a child i don't know if you're the same yeah i think so too and i think that's the best kind of um like fun for all ages entertainment is the stuff that like you can like as a kid but when you're older there's just so much more Mm. uh Mm. to enjoy which is probably the thing disney is better at than any other company on earth yeah um or at least has been doing it the longest um and just so consistently and so well and obviously there's there's moments where they stumble it's been a while since we've had a real stumble but don't worry listeners in a few weeks we'll be there um (laughs) but you know for the for the most part since 1937 and even before then with the shorts but really feature film wise since 1937 to the present day that's an unbelievable amount of time Mm. uh they have consistently made things that both children and adults adore Mm -hmm. um not just because of nostalgia, um, because of of incredible work that's gone into them and, and detailed storytelling and beautiful visuals and, and all that and, and, and jokes that have remained funny for 70, 80 years. It's not easy to do, mm. um, but it's something they've done really well and it, it's their best asset, really. And it, Mulan is a very good example of that, that it, it definitely has more to offer as an adult. But it's, it's interesting because Mulan is a really interesting character and I think there's a lot of argument that you could make that she's kind of one of the first. Obviously, they don't um, say Mulan is transgender, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I think there's certain implications there. Obviously, it's not something that they were going to push, especially in '98. It's also not something that they would push now because they have the international market to to think about. Um, but which is which is bad, and I hate that. But that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> But it, it, it's interesting because she definitely seems more comfortable when she is um, p- performing as a man. Mm. Um, and she's, obviously she's concerned that people will find out her, her quote-unquote true identity. Um, but you definitely get a sense that she's very much at peace with, with training. And like it's, it's something that she's actually quite excited about doing and, and bettering herself. And obviously the, you know, the song reflection is kind of like how she doesn't like what she sees. Mm. Um, because you know she's she feels like she doesn't fit as a woman uh because her you know she doesn't want to be um just a wife and mm. she doesn't want to be she doesn't want that role that role doesn't feel right for her but the role that feels right for her is is a traditionally uh male role 
so there's a lot of really interesting stuff. We don't have to go too far into that, but I, I just think it's something worth mentioning that it's a really um, fascinating thing, and I, I, I it's, it's it's cool and it's it's really impressive to see it um, mm-hmm. in a Disney film uh, because it's it's there, and I don't really think you can deny what is is happening in front of your eyes because that is kind of what I'm not saying Mulan is is definitively um, a, a trans character, um, but there's definitely elements of kind of gender dysphoria almost and, and not really agreeing with your assignment in life and, and, and not just uh culturally but but physically as well and I think it's it's really interesting mm. yeah I mean it's it's clear obviously that she she wouldn't just be able to make that decision to go in her father's place and still present as female so that's a decision that obviously has to be made in uh, as male sorry um that she yeah that that is something that she has to do um mm-hmm. in order to uh you know to to take her father's place and that's the thing that she recognizes is is important but she doesn't really there's not sort of too much like consideration i mean it it happens relatively quickly when her her father is is called up and then it's like that night that she then sort of like decides to mm-hmm. to take his place and I can see why uh, the song Reflection would then sort of become like a bit of an anthem for anyone perhaps like questioning their their gender or how they identify or, or something like that as well. I think it's it's a really beautiful song for many reasons. And I, I think we'll we'll get onto the song shortly. But yeah, it, it's it, it has, a, I think now, you know, 2021 watching watching this film and, and where we are now as a society, there are certainly so many more things you could unpack about this film and and particularly on that theme but even even at the time it's that sort of you know not wanting to conform with the the expectations of what society has deemed appropriate for a woman or what mm-hmm. a woman should be doing and i just i i love <laughs> I love this film. I love Mulan as a character. I think she, if we could class her as a Disney princess, which I think they, they do. do. They, they, she's she is fully. It's interesting because she's she's fully branded as a Disney princess, even mm. though there's really nothing about her that is, I mean, a princess. But she no. kind of represented, in especially in terms of marketing, like kind of a change of how they view princesses. And there was this mm. whole campaign mm. about how you know princesses don't have to be. It might even still exist, like. You don't need a, a crown or, or a prince to be a princess is basically their marketing, which is fun because then they also sell like Mulan tiaras um, and Mulan like <laughs> princess shoes that she would yeah. never actually wear in real life, which is fun and kind of contradiction. But, you know, it, it works and Mulan is definitely interesting because she is officially in the princess canon, mm. which I don't really think was an official like the idea of the, the Disney princess canon is more like a mid 2000s thing that kind of came into existence or like late 90s so it's kind of like just starting to become a thing where obviously now people are very familiar with like Disney, Disney princess branding but that that's far more recent uh mm. than when most of the princesses were introduced but yeah, yeah she is so she is so we can talk about her as a princess because according to Disney she the canon of Disney says that she is indeed a princess even that's... though she objectively by the <laughs> basic definition of what a princess is she is not uh in a royal family yeah she is not married to a prince uh, she was not born into royalty, which is, I mean, really all you need. Hashtag abolish the monarchy. Um, but <laughs> you know, she she is not um technically a princess in the um traditional terms, but according to Disney canon, she absolutely is. 
Which is great because I, uh, she is my favourite Disney princess and she probably will be by the end of this as well. I can't... She's pretty terrific. Yeah, I can't see anyone usurping her. And actually, interestingly, like the, the ones that I sort of consider as my favourite princesses are those ones who do sort of like subvert the expectations like i i love a, a cinderella and a mm-hmm. you know an aurora as much as the next but well aurora less so because you you know yeah, come on she just sleeps <laughs> but cinderella well. especially and i think that's she's of... objectively sorry i just <laughs> aurora is objectively the worst one and it's it's not her fault she's just asleep the whole time okay yeah she, she didn't do it she didn't she, do anything she can't help that she has no agency whatsoever but no it's, it's not that she's a bad person she's just the least exciting disney princess but yeah i agree agree with your saying cinderella yeah i yeah i I tend to gravitate more towards the ones that aren't the sort of like the classic princess like i think my two favorites at the moment are probably pocahontas and and mulan so yeah there's something about the characters that really go against what is their expectations or or do things that are surprising or outside of you know character or what their their culture and their society would expect of them and just something that i like and find really empowering about that and i think disney has given us more of those characters kind of as they've as they've gone along but the the 90s seems like a real sort of moment for bringing those characters that are that are really empowering and i think would empower young girls at the time and and now and and going forward and i was well i was a, a child when i saw pocahontas but I didn't see Mulan until I was an adult, so I didn't sort of get to have that moment of really looking up to that character as a child. But I think mm-hmm. young little kid Sarah would have absolutely loved this character in the same way that I that I do now and seen it as a good role model, I think. And yeah. it's great to have that balance. It's great to have those sort of more, you know, quote unquote classic princesses and also those that are a bit different that go against the grain and, and do the things that are unexpected and different as well and and, mm-hmm. and Disney gives us all of that and more. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, I'll, you know, I'll talk briefly about I guess like the trajectory of the princesses, you know. Mm-hmm. Cinderella was kind of the first one to she's although she she's while considered very classic um, reactive rather than proactive princess. I think there are definitely elements of, of Cinderella that are very surprising and very challenging in the mm-hmm. way she, you know, subtly challenges those things. But then it takes uh, 49 years, really, until we get a real proper, like, challenge to what we know about a Disney princess with Ariel in The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid, um, which builds um, with Belle and and Jasmine. And then I think the next, like, real standout princess is is Pocahontas, who really... You know, Ariel kind of sets the tone for the next few to fall. There's always kind of like that one that kind of sets the new tone for the next group. Uh, and Pocahontas is definitely that because immediately following her is is Mulan. Mm-hmm. Um, to, and then you could, I don't think Meg isn't like a canon princess, but she's definitely in the same kind of vein as mm-hmm. as, as not what you would expect a princess to be. Um, but yeah, and, and Mulan is, is very, um, very independent. I mean, she literally goes off without her she leaves her entire family behind to save their family her family and very similarly to pocahontas um you know it's not really for personal gain it's it's they're always kind of thinking of yeah obviously they want to do things that are best for themselves but it's also really important to them um to help their family you know everything kind of pocahontas does is motivated by 
helping her community mm. uh, thrive and, and survive mostly because obviously they're under threat um, as is Mulan's family from the, from the Huns and, and Shan Yu. So her decision to go is not necessary is part because, you know, she wants to prove to herself that she's more than what society has planned for her as does Pocahontas, but also that really key element of their desire to help their family, which mm-hmm. I mean, Mulan is very explicit that she's doing it for her father. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of talked about how Pocahontas was really significant and, and a kind of another watershed princess, and we can see that very much reflected uh, in Mulan, who is very much of the, the same kind of vein as of Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and that sort of does continue with some of the the more modern ones as well, which we'll, we'll get to, and I'm really looking forward to getting to sort of that uh princess and the frog tangled frozen era of films and um we get a memorable uh reappearance from all of our disney princesses in a later film as well in a different animated form so we can we can yeah. continue to talk and about them mulan is, mulan is the last princess we get until princess and the frog unless i'm forgetting one but i'm pretty sure Ooh. that's right yeah that that um, that tracks yeah but we, we have a solid gap um, of, of the 2000s. The 2000s has exactly one princess mm. uh, based on the 90s, which has had Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, uh, Pocahontas, uh, and, and Mulan. So there's, there's, there's five or six in the 90s and, and one uh, in the 2000s. Wow. Uh, so definitely a different direction for Disney, which we'll be talking a lot about when we get there. Um, mm. But Mulan herself is, is really interesting. She is flawed, which is exciting, and, and it gets you to like her more. Mm. Um, but what's, what's great about Mulan is the way she uses society's expectations of her to win. Mm-hmm. And she uses that kind of, It's really brilliant the way they do this because everyone kind of second guesses Mulan. And, you know, when she's Ping and succeeds in the phenomenal sequence, I'll make a man out of you, and, and gets the arrow from the top, which, believe me, we'll be talking about. Um, <laughs> but, you know, from that moment, Ping is really respected and really, like, admired and, and mm-hmm. a real key for them. And, and once they find out she's she's Mulan, they're like, oh, we can't trust you anymore, which is ridiculous, because mm-hmm. it's the exact same person who saved their lives uh, by creating that av- avalanche, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, she's, she's genuinely saved them all. Um, but she used that in the end, where... She's alone with Shan Yu at the top of the Imperial Palace, uh, and she gets out her fan, and Shan Yu has his sword, and he's like, this is easy, like, I don't, you know, he doesn't view her even as the slightest threat, uh, but she uses that, because look, she's obviously not going to be stronger than him, she's obviously not going to be a better fighter than him, this is a dude who's presumably been fighting his whole life, while Mulan has been, you know, just been trained, like, as, as fresh of a soldier as you could possibly be, of course he's going to be a better fighter than her. Um, but he, she uses the fact that he underestimates her to win, and she t- uses her fan, which is a very, which is an object of significant and extreme femininity. It's like the feminine object in China, um, and she uses that exact femininity to usurp and do the exact reverse of what you would expect, which is to take the sword, use the fan to capture the sword, a very masculine object, flip it over, and, and she takes possession of the sword, and, and she wins that fight. Mm. Um, and she wins it because she's smarter than him. She might not be a better fighter, and why would she be? But she is a better strategist, and she's smarter than him. And you love to see that, and they do an amazing job with that. Adding to the fact that, adding to that is the fact that the the gang of three, um, you know, Yao, uh, Chen Po, and Chi Fu, have to become women 
or is it Ling? Was it's it Ling. Ling. My yeah. apologies. I was just <laughs> looking at the name. I couldn't. I knew. I I love Yao and Chen Po, and I always forget the other one. No disrespect. <laughs> um, but so the gang of three have to get in drag as women, um, to go along with Mulan's plan to be successful. The only mm-hmm. way that these men can succeed and save the day is to become women. Yeah. Love it. We. It works really well. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's clever, mm-hmm. and it's extremely well executed. Yeah, we we love to see it, and I. I think there's something so powerful in that sort of final showdown with Shan Yu where not only is it the the object that that she uses is this sort of like symbol of femininity but also that she when she she takes him down and and beats the bad guy she is as herself she is presenting as female rather than than male and I think that I I like that that happens and I I like that it isn't the sort of like you know, she does, she has those sort of two, like, really heroic moments, the first being when she sort of saves them uh, from from the Hun army with the, the avalanche, but then, like you said, you know, they believe her to be male then, and, and she is then sort of, like, seen as a, as a hero and this great soldier and all the rest of it, and then the next time that she sort of saves the day or, or, or beats the bad guys, she is she's female and she that's the sort of the final the final nail in the coffin that's how the bad guys are defeated and i love that i i love the imagery the the use of the fan i think is great and like you mentioned as well with the the only way they are able to do it is by you know the the gang of three sort of like presenting as female as well so it's it's so great it's so empowering and i i love that whole sequence i want to mention how great the crowd looks as well we do not have the terrifying uh horrible faceless crowd that we had in um in hunchback um you can you can kind of tell that they're using a similar thing because in there's like a couple shots where they they're all kind of moving in in generic ways so you know Mm -hmm, it's a mm -hmm. they're building upon the the crowd technology they created yeah um but they're very smart and they never get too close to them Mm -hmm. um and they probably learn from it they probably could you know because these they obsessively analyze their own work and when you're working on a frame by frame basis you can see it Mm. so they knew it was happening in hunchback but don't get me wrong (laughs) that sequence is still really good it's just if you look at it now it's a bit jarring but they yeah. were really smart with Mulan. They've obviously learned from that in Hunchback mm-hmm. and kept mm-hmm. them... First of all, there's way more people in this sequence. There's a humongous crowd that you yeah. could never draw by hand. That would be insane. Um, but you, you never get that close to them. And it's going to mean that this scene has continued to age extremely well. Mm. Uh, and 50 years from now, when you look at it, it will probably still look excellent. So mm. it's a really great example of you know learning from past... I don't, I, I don't mean to say Topsy Turvy, the sequence is a mistake. It's brilliant. Um, but mm-hmm. to learn from, um, you know, kind of pitfalls in technology and, and using them to your advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. And they do an amazing job. The the Imperial City sequence is one of three real standout sequences to me in this. The other being kind of the fight in the snow and then the I'll make a man out of you sequence to me are the three moments that really boost this film from like good to great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we I think we're sort of coming on to the the songs in a minute, so we'll we'll cover "I Make a Man Out of You" when we when we get to that. But yeah, that scene in the snow I think is maybe my favorite scene in the whole film. I think yeah, the, the you know the two that you mentioned there as as well. But there's just there's one shot I think it's just as the army is sort of like coming over the top of the mountain, and 
I just wanted to pause it and and look at it, and that's the sort of like that is the... where that whole the whole budget is yeah. right there. It is, yeah. it's, it's it's amazing. It looks fantastic. Yeah, that's the the true mark of quality in a Disney film. I think where we're like, I want to pause it, look at it, study it, hang it on my wall, look at it all the time, create a wallpaper out of it, and like plaster it over my entire house. Like that's yeah, and it's and it <laughs> really stands out as a fantastic example of blending hand drawn animation with CGI in a way that does not age mm-hmm. or date. Um, but in hands, and it looks incredible. You, it doesn't. You, you don't look at that and be like, "Ooh, that does that looks rough. That's aged poorly." No, it hasn't. Mm, nope. It's it. They've they've learned from what they've done, and obviously technology advances every moment, let alone every year, where there's big um, strides. So you know, it can look better as you go. But it is it aged so well um, mm. that you don't. It doesn't feel even. I don't even think it feels a little bit jarring. It feels very natural and and fits really well, and it's. A really epic action sequence. Mm. Yeah, I was I was reading actually that I, I guess it was probably using that similar technology that they used in Hunchback, but perhaps like a, a new computer program as well. So they used the latest technology to add detail and mimic camera techniques that were previously unavailable in animation. Um, so obviously like the crowd scene, um, which they estimate is around thirty thousand people. So that's that's a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And they used a computer program called Attila to make the sequence yep. featuring 2,000 Huns on, on horseback. Um, so that's a very cool. They, they obviously... They also they also use one called Dynasty, both as, mm. as nods to yeah. Mulan. Yeah, which is... I, I love that even in those sort of like... Oh, what has it been? Like two years since... Uh, certainly, well, the, since the release anyway. Obviously, I know films yeah. are worked on for a lot longer than that. But just the huge kind of leaps and bounds in technology even just between those those two films and mm-hmm. incredible really like this was really a time when technology was moving fast and disney was keeping up with it and utilizing it in in really great and interesting ways and i think you know i wanted to sort of like compare this sequence with the uh stampede in in lion king as well just because they sort of have that quite sort of similar visual style of this just sort of like mass coming down like the the hillside and i don't think you could say like which looks looks better because i think the scale of the mulan sequence seems that bit bigger and also you view it from like further away as well so you sort of see just this huge army just kind of like descending down the hill but yeah like similar i think to that sequence in in lion king and that use of that technology to sort of like build up those crowds as well and i don't know if you saw on the special features that um this one person uh was talking about that they she was given like a a color palette of like seven or eight colors or something and was told to come up with like, something like 500 different combinations of those mm-hmm. like eight colors um to make up the sort of like the outfits of the the crowds in those sort of massive scenes and i'm like wow someone sat there and <laughs> and Amazing. worked this out like even though this is you know a crowd that it sort of feels sort of like you create one person and then you copy and paste thirty thousand times to create a crowd big enough there's still that level of attention to detail where someone has worked out you know a number of different color combinations to at least make it look as believable as possible mm-hmm. when you hear when you and when you hear things like that it should be a surprise to no one that this mm-hmm. took five years to make <laughs> yeah is, and 700 it, people <laughs> yeah it, it's it's amazing stuff 
Yeah. Um, shall we? Uh, shall we talk about some uh, some good old fashioned show tune? Oh my gosh! Please, <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> you start because I I've okay, you know I've so got tons to say. <laughs> you probably feel like these are you. I, I wouldn't be shocked if you're going to be like these are the best songs in all of Disney. I would say there is one in particular that is a real standout and definitely one of the best. Overall, I think the music is not forgettable, um, but not to the level of the earlier renaissance films like um mm-hmm. Beast, Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, um I do, even Pocahontas to me. I don't think it hits that level to me, but I definitely think they're they're strong. Um I'll be honest, I forgot that Honor to Us All and A Girl Worth Fighting For existed at all until I watched it. That doesn't mean they're <laughs> bad, they're really good. Mm-hmm. Um but I I only ever remember Reflection and and I'll make a man out of you. Um, mm. But I I I will go on record. It, well, I'll ask you a question, Sarah. What is the best song of the '90s, and why is it "I'll Make a Man Out of You"? <laughs> and a, a counter question to you, Barry. What is the greatest Disney song of all time, and why is it "I'll Make a Man Out of You"? <laughs> it it could be. So I I would disagree that it's the greatest of all time, but I I I would not argue it because I can absolutely see why you would think so because <laughs> that sequence is the best scene in this movie mm-hmm. um and to me the others don't get me wrong there's amazing technical achievements and epic ad- emotional moments in those other imperial city and the the um coming down the snow also the shot of um mulan's reflection in the sword before she cuts her mm. hair off is extraordinary mm-hmm. um but but the the sequence the musical number i'll make a man out of you is perfection mm-hmm. it has every imaginable color in the color palette it is so vibrant it is the best training montage I've ever seen in the movie. I'm so sorry, Rocky. Uh, this is not <laughs> your time. Sashay away. Um, uh, it, it's extraordinary. I'll Make a Man Out of You is is a perfect sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Donny Osmond, uh, B.D. Wong is the voice, the speaking voice of, of Shang, uh, who is gorgeous. Uh, but Donny Osmond is the singing voice, and he does the job. It is terrific. Um he puts all that emotion to it. It sounds like he's being hit when you see him being hit um, while he's singing. It's it's amazing. It's really fun. Um, it's the best example, I think, of Disney having fun in a musical number in a while. You get a lot of serious ballads. We have one in this film called Reflection. It's good, but, you know, it's no I'll make a man out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like the emotional moment of the film where everything just kind of snaps together and, and you're waiting and it's it's fun. You're having a good time. Uh, it's kind of around the halfway point, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know, you're watching this, you're like, this is good stuff. Uh, and then this song happens and you're like, this is really great stuff. Mm. Yeah, this this song is now the entire reason why I can't hear anyone say the phrase, let's get down to business without immediately wanting to say to defeat the Huns. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so if I've ever been in like a work meeting with someone and they have like said that phrase, in my head, I am then singing this entire song. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't think you're even close to being alone. In that. No, I really, really don't. It's such a great song. It's such a great sequence. Um, I'm with you on uh, Shang as well. Like our, our good pal Kokoam, he is an absolute snack. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we love. But just this whole sequence is so wonderful there's so much great imagery i love that sort of um shot of all of them uh in in their training and then the background is almost like entirely red um as they're sort of like mm-hmm. jumping in unison and and performing these sort of like moves at the same time it's just so it's so great it's yeah it's 
I would put it up there as one of the the best uh, training montages in in film, and think it could give any of the Rocky montages a run for their money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely my favorite song and scene in the whole film. I think I do really like Reflection as well. There's not a bad song in this in this film for me. I think the two standouts are Reflection and I'll Make a Man Out of You. Um, I I sort of agree that I don't think it's apart from those two. I think that you would be forgiven for sort of forgetting some of the, the songs from this. And I think that on the whole, it maybe isn't as strong song-wise as something like Beauty and the Beast, um, where all of the songs, I think, everyone knows. Um, but... I the fact that I would probably put two of the songs from Mulan in my like top ten, maybe mm. even top five Disney songs is kind of testament to to how strong the songs are in this and those ones that work like really really work and yeah the 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 visuals in reflection I think are underrated as as well we sort of mentioned it a little bit and you mentioned that shot uh, that shot with the um sword which is i believe just after she she sings reflection there's the sort of like the haircut um yeah that moment sequence she, yeah yeah and that uh, that piece of score is is really great as well it's jerry goldsmith who does the score i believe his one and only disney score i think um but really really great and i enjoy listening to the score of this as much as i love listening to the songs and i really love the songs so but yeah in in reflection it sort of starts with her walking through the garden and there's the great sort of like reflective surfaces of the water and then when she's in the um i don't know what it is but like the building where the sort that their ancestors are the um, kind of like temple that they built yeah yeah like a shrine type thing then then there's obviously like the a lot of the surfaces in there are reflective as well and i would like to say that that sequence uh gave me very unrealistic makeup removal um expectations um because she takes a sleeve and she wipes that paint right off like not there's not a smeared mascara there's not like a fleck of blush left behind so i thought that that was possible um let me tell you no makeup wipe in the world is strong strong enough to do that um not as as deftly as as that but um yeah both really great sequences and i really like a girl worth fighting for as well and that the moment that i like in that is um this is gonna sound a little strange but when it ends um because it ends quite abruptly and it the real like contrast of this quite sort of like happy and upbeat song to then like seeing the devastation of this um camp i guess just completely destroyed and that's when they sort of find all the the dead bodies as well of of the army and it's just a it's it i've seen this film so many times let me tell you but it's still so unexpected when that really kind of like abrupt end to the song happens and that's also the last song we hear in the film as well from there on out is is pretty serious and i think reflects the sort of the tone of the rest of the film is obviously very serious and it's sort of like you know about this the plucky underdogs or this sort of like small band of people then being able to defeat this like massive army and i just mm-hmm. i really like that moment and i think honor to us all is is great as well and 
love the scene that follows that with the matchmaker. I think that's maybe one of the funniest bits in the film. But also, um... the matchmaker sequence gives us some lovely foreshadowing um, <laughs> because the coffee spilling and the ink forms a mustache and beard on her face, mm. um, and uh, we love it. We love to see it. I love love a bit of foreshadowing, uh, and you know that's on purpose. Yeah. Uh, these people these people think these people these people are detail oriented and you know that's uh, you know that's there for a reason and yeah that's that whole sequence is really funny uh mm-hmm. maria margulies is the uh is the matchmaker and she is a delight i did not realize it was maria margulies until today and i was like huh <laughs> well, well also the perhaps the most exciting casting in this whole thing is that pat marita is the emperor who most people know as mr miyagi yeah, Martin was very excited to find that out. He's a big Karate Kid fan, but then he was like, it doesn't sound like Mr. Miyagi. And I'm like, well, <laughs> he's playing a different character. You so. know what, Martin? Some people are talented and they can sound like all sorts of things. That's why they're voice actors. Um... <laughs> it's called talent. <laughs> um, let's, um, let's, because I, I don't think this will take very long because usually we dive into villains, but let's mm. let's talk a bit about the villain slash villains because you kind of have, um, Chi Fu as a as a sort of like secondary villain. He's not yeah. out and out evil. I just want to say about Chi Fu is I get it because he doesn't really like Shang uh, because of nepotism, and he he makes a, a statement directly that like you know he earned his job mm-hmm. um, because he worked for it, and he is not the son of of a, a major general like Shang is, which is why he is where he is. So like I get that. Um, he's he's fun, but the the main villain in this and. Main villain is kind of a tough word because he's he's not really there and he doesn't really do much except be scary looking. Mm. Is Shan Yu, um, the the leader of the Huns. We don't. This is I think where the the film runs into some some problems that stop it. For me personally, being an all timer, is that the the threat that is there. And don't get me wrong, I think this film has the highest body count of any film. So mm-hmm. a lot of people die. Um, not that you really see it. They're kind of like all buried in, in snow, and a few of them emerge, but very few. Um. But you don't really, I have no idea what his motivations are, except, you know, to rule China. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why. I don't know who he's doing it for, presumably himself. Um, but he is scary looking. They do The, the, the design of Sean Yu is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a bird sidekick, which is awesome. Love to see that. Um, and the, by the way, the bird's eye view shots in the snow sequence are tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, miraculous. Um, but yeah, Sean Yu is, there's not a whole lot to him. He's probably the weakest aspect of, of Mulan. Mm. Is that the, the threat is kind of like a general threat towards China rather than like a, a specific character we really get to know and fear. Mm. Yeah, I, and this is, I think, unusual for us because obviously normally we are, you know, really hardcore team villain. But I think that this film doesn't really... It, its focus isn't really on the villain and I think that's fine because there's so yeah. much other good stuff going on so I wouldn't really say it's a weak villain I just think that the villain is not the focus of this so therefore it, there's not you know what we usually get into the villains with is you know that they're quite charming or likable or they have a great song or we like these sort of aspects of them or you know as we've come to the conclusion on many occasions they're not actually the villain and there is someone far more villainous um at work (laughs) but i think (laughs) actually like what you're saying about chifu is is interesting because i've never really like made that sort of like proper connection before that he is he's that he's i you're right like a secondary villain there's no way he is 
as he's not vil- like outright evil or anything. No, he's there's no way he's as villainous as as Shan Yu, but he's clearly mm-hmm. n- he's on the right side. But there's sort of like ulterior motives there, and he is like really quite upset at the end with the idea that he his position would be <laughs> would be repl- that he would be replaced by Mulan. He is not yeah. he is not down with that at all. So yeah, he's an an interesting character. Uh, I. I agree with the the design of Shan Yu. I think is really great. I like the whole look of the army that they've sort of made them look very distinctly different, but also sort of yeah. not quite human. They sort of have this like gray skin and yellow eyes, and they're sort of like big and and huge and and commanding, sort of like on screen to to look at. But yeah, we don't we don't really learn a ton about him about his motivations and i think as well that what can sometimes not let a villain down but means that they don't sort of like stand out amongst the all-timers is when their motivations are not necessarily linked to our sort of like main protagonist so this guy would be going about what he's doing anyway like regardless of 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 mulan or anything like that he is the leader of that army he wants to take over China, kill the emperor, have the power for himself. And that isn't really sort of tied in in any way to Mulan. Obviously Mulan then goes to, you know, to join the army that is taking him down, but it's not his oh, what am I trying to say? His motivations aren't sort of like anything personal. It's not like a personal vendetta against specifically Mulan. Like he doesn't even know who she is until like right at the end as well. Yeah, until he realizes that she's the one who caused the avalanche and yeah. basically killed everyone he's friends with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he has friends, um, <laughs> to, so so to to me, I I kind of dis- I disagree in the sense that you think he's not a weak villain because I think he is a weak villain. I think he's he's still in he's still well designed, mm. um, but to me, he's the worst villain of the Renaissance, including the Cleach. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> I think yeah. I'm I may be a I don't he's not like a he's not like an all-timer for me obviously but I mm, it's, it's... It's, it, 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 I don't think he's a terrible character I just I just think they kind of uh leave out anything that would make him particularly memorable except his design he's designed yeah. again really well um he's got really kind of like one scene he's got a few scenes but they're all basically action where he doesn't really say much Mm. he's got one kind of thing that's really menacing where he has this doll and he's like we should return it to the girl and then he then you get the you infer from that when mulan and company reach this village that's completely burnt to the ground that that's exactly what they did when they Mm. when he meant return this doll so he's he's sick and twisted uh and scary Mm -hmm. but there's just I don't think there's anything else to him. He kind of reminds me of like the Horn King, where like his one attribute is being evil and wanting power, and and that's that's pretty much where they end it. Yeah, I think I I will always like struggle with a villain as well, where it's not just like one person. There's like a whole crowd of them because even though he is sort of like the leader and like the face and main figure of evil in this, in the rescuers to sort of like make that comparison point, like it is just this one dude and i think that rescues down under sorry it is just this this one dude and i think he's still like a weak villain because we don't really learn anything about him or his motivations but i think shan yu just it slightly just beats that just for i guess just having a bit more of like a presence and i understand 
motivations and and what he is trying he and his army are trying to achieve but i think when it's sort of like you know a whole group of people are the representation of evil in this film it's hard to really just sort of like pick him out and go yeah he's a great villain or a bad villain or whatever he's just kind of like in the middle for me he doesn't obviously have that same level of personality that we have in someone like hades last week or you know just that all out evil darkness you know horrible nature of frollo right before that and it's yeah he's it's not that sort of film he's not he doesn't have a you know a villain song that would be wildly inappropriate if he did um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think i think just because he is not the the focal point of this story and they never try to make him that so i think if you're just sort of like in the middle on the fence maybe a bit down on this villain i think that's completely understandable because i think that's what the film gives him yeah oh yeah Mm. yeah it's not uh i i agree with that Mm. um but unfortunately for sean Yu, we have had quite the run of villains yeah uh and he is placed at the wrong time you put this in like the 70s and sure he's a decent villain but it's not that he's a bad villain he's just the worst of a really strong bunch Mm. yeah i i agree i i he would certainly be like lower down in the scale for the 90s i think mcleach is probably still my least favorite we've we get another very generic villain in the next film as well so that's true it's not over yet (laughs) boy is it not over yet the race to the bottom for the villains is not done yeah Uh, we have another clayton is clayton is ready to compete (laughs) like Um, he's so similar to mcleach as well i feel like we're just gonna be like well another dude with no real plot or purpose or uh defining character traits (laughs) exactly um where where should we go? Should we should we tell them who we stand? We absolutely Actually, should. Or or should we or should we talk about Mushu for a bit? Ooh, I think we can do. Let's do in this house we stand. So I, I think that'll that'll be a quicker conversation. I think we'll also lead on to talking about Mushu as well. Cool. Um. So you added in <laughs> into our notes a little shout out. Uh, I'm guessing that we stand the same the same yes, character, we do. We do. but. Okay, great. I I know you well enough to know that it's down the same character. As we me. don't really need to even talk about it beforehand. We just know. Yeah, yeah. We at a stage we'd be like, I'd like text you or something. It'd be like, hey, who do we stand? And we'd like throw out some options. Now I just <laughs> put something in the notes and hope you agree. We know it's the same. It's fine. Yeah, but um, you wanted to mention a, another character who I guess sort of is a, a close a close second, just sort of pipped to the post. But you, uh, do you want to mention that that character? Yeah, we well we so rarely shine a light on the human characters. We're like, <laughs> who are they? Uh, but Chen Po, our lovely round uh, member of the the Gang of Three, is so delightful, and he has uh, not a whole lot to say, but whatever he says is very charming. He's very sweet, mm-hmm. um, and something that's really important to Sarah and I: food oriented. Um, <laughs> he has a phenomenal, the best part. A girl with fighting boy is a really good song, by the way. And, mm-hmm. and the best line is is Chen Po, where he is talking about it doesn't matter what she looks like. All that matters is what she cooks like. Um, and she, he lists some of his favorite meats. And I I got it. I was like, yes, it's true. <laughs> Cooking is very important. Uh, you know, it's, it's an essential, uh, as, a, as a married person can confirm, it is really delightful when your partner is a great cook. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Um, so yeah, I, I love, Chen Pao is delightful. Also really helpful and kind of saves the day because... Uh, Mulan, the horse, Pricky, and Mushu would have all fallen to their death mm-hmm. if uh, Chenpo was not there to help the other soldiers lift mm-hmm. them from from peril. 
Yeah, he lifts that entire <laughs> the entire Yeah, trip. without without Chen Po, <laughs> this film would end really tragically. Yeah, they all died and fell off a cliff, the end. Um yeah. but thankful that he exists and that he saved them <laughs> in that moment. But our our choice this week for In This House We Stand, I feel like anyone who has listened to a single episode of this podcast before will probably be able to predict this. It is not the horse, although we do love him as well. Um, it is uh, our little cricket, uh, who I don't believe is named by anyone other than Mushu, but Mushu calls him Cricky. And yes. what an absolute delight this <laughs> this character is! I really found myself laughing so hard at all of his mom- the moments that he has in the film, and again, just add into that great uh, Disney canon of characters who don't say a single word, but yet somehow managed to be our favorites and i think that should be another list that we do in our like final wrap up is yes. like favorite non-speaking characters <laughs> yeah he's he, he he's a lot of fun my my personal favorite moment he's also significant he moves um he is the reason mushu can send that message because he turns into he throws <laughs> his little legs into the ink and becomes uh well i would essentially a typewriter because that's the sound cue you get uh and he writes the letter and he writes a really sweet lovely letter and mushu was like okay we need one that actually gets to the point though this is war um which we love it because he's a quickie we learn from that moment is a sweet uh sweet cricket at heart uh, but he has to get to the point to uh, seem more serious, so he types out a more serious message, which we don't hear. Um, but Mushu sends it off, and it's a really funny moment. We get a lot of um, facial reaction. We get a lot of of great face from Cricky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think my my favorite Cricky moment is um, it's right at the beginning when he is uh, uh, grandmother Far has sort of got him in this in this little cage, and she's like, "Let's mm-hmm. find out if you're a lucky cricket." And she just strolls right across this road, eyes closed, and is expecting the <laughs> the cricket to guide her. Um, yeah. the things are crashing around her, absolute chaos. And then there's just this great shot of the cricket at the end, and he his like le- little legs are shaking. He just looks absolutely shook, and it just really, really made me laugh. And um, yeah, and there's a, a another great moment as well. I think with the matchmaker when the when he escapes and he's sort of causing all kinds of chaos, and then he's just kicking back in her little mug of tea, like it's a little hot tub, and it's just very, very cute. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's he's. I really like when he puts himself back into the cage after after all that chaos. He's like, nope, I'm I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Um, shout out to Barry Temple, who was the supervising animator for who for Cricky. Mm-hmm. who also was a supervising animator for Flounder, who we feel very different. I mean, brilliantly animated, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but who we feel very differently <laughs> towards. Um, probably anti-Stan, but we love, uh, we love, we love Cricky. Yeah, boy, did we get some, some people who were unhappy with that uh, Flounder. Um... <laughs> well, at least they know the truth now. <laughs> yeah, they were like, Flounder's amazing. What do you want? I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We're just, we're just giving our truth. It's not necessarily the facts, although... Yeah, pretty close to. Um, yes, right. Speaking of psychics, um, shall we talk about our lovely, lovely Mushu and the the man who voices him as well, Eddie Murphy? Yes. Um, in the in the interest of time, we'll we'll try and keep it brief before we make this a four hour. Yes. Break. But yeah, <laughs> M- 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 Mushu is Mushu is fun. 
but he's a really bad sidekick. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of like Jiminy Cricket, like great intentions, yep. um, poor execution. <laughs> he causes he causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, the letter they send does not end up being particularly helpful. Um, he puts them in lots of dangerous situations. Uh, and the ancestors were probably right to send the other dragon, uh, mm-hmm. which he hilariously destroys uh, and cannot be summoned because he breaks the statue. Um, but yeah, M- Mushu is really fun, and he feels like a poor man's genie at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, to be fair, I think all the comedic sidekicks of the 90s are poor man's genies because they're <laughs> all kind of trying to replicate what that was mm-hmm. um but he literally like starts in in a group of like in covered in billowed in smoke and he like shouts his first words just like genie does <laughs> and i was like wow this is they're really they're really out here saying this is genie are you happy now mm-hmm. and that i you can see the kind of sense the animator's resistance because they, they he wasn't supposed to be in the movie but uh roy disney was like this this mushu was happening we're getting a comedian and we're voicing the psychic fun dragon and they're like oh, okay um they were probably very satisfied with just Cricky, um, but Mushu comes in, and, and I don't think it's a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a lot of fun, and he redeems himself throughout. He's not just a poor man's genie. Uh, and Eddie Murphy is tremendous. Uh, apparently, Eddie Murphy um, recorded all his lines at home, huh. um, which I guess you can do when you have a mansion, and you can just do it in your basement, which is apparently what he did, um, <laughs> which is cool. Love that. Uh, you know, I think it was in like New Jersey or something. Why would you go all the way to, to Florida when you can do it at yeah, home? Exactly. And it still sounds great. <laughs> Love that. Um, but yeah, and he um, he's terrific. Uh, he's a lot of fun, some good ad-libs. M- Mushu is fun, but I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's not like the genie where you're like, this film would be terrible without him. I feel like Mulan would be just as good without Mushu. Yeah, and that was actually a real like sticking point for um, people with the live-action adaptation as people were like, no songs, no Mushu, not interested. And we have differing opinions on the adaptation, which we'll we'll cover very briefly in a little bit. But yeah, I I do really like Mushu as a character. I think everything you said is is correct. He is not a very good sidekick, but he is very, very funny. And I think that without him, this film would suffer in the sense that it would it would it would certainly lose a lot of its comedy. And I think the the balance of comedy is just right in this film, like we mentioned earlier, that not all of the comedy is coming from the sidekick, which is what it sort of feels like in Hunchback, but that there are other sort of like light moments as well that we get, but the sort of like the really sort of like zany, funny moments that are really, really going to appeal to children specifically come from Mushu. So I think it's important that he's there. And I think that it's certainly a great vocal performance from from Eddie Murphy. This and uh, Donkey and Shrek are, I believe, the only times uh, that he has done sort of um, voice acting. What else do you need to do? Right. What two? I mean, Donkey <laughs> is an all-timer for me, but like, what two? Yeah. If you're going to voice two characters in your life, they might as well be two of the most memorable characters in animation history. Yeah, like, way to go. like two of the most like iconic animated sidekicks yeah. like maybe ever sure. <laughs> and they're voiced by mm-hmm. the same person is 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 pretty cool but yeah i mushu is not my favorite part of this film i know a lot of people really really love him so this is not another flounder situation we do really like mushu and he serves his purpose in this film and he is really great but is not the sort of like the best thing about the film for me because there's so much other great stuff in it just so much good stuff yeah 
I don't I don't think Mushu to me I don't think he's one of like the all time great sidekicks. I think he's a lot of fun and definitely one of the more memorable sidekicks in mm. in film. Uh, but to me, uh, he is way behind Genie. He's behind. I know Jiminy Cricket isn't very good at his job, but he's behind Jiminy Cricket, Timothy Q. Mouse, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A, a, a slew of others. But I, I think he's fun, and, and and I get why he's there. But he's one of the few where I could see the film working just as well without him, which isn't a slight on him. I just, if anything, it's a it's a kind of just pointing out the the strengths of 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 everything else. Um, mm-hmm. before we run out of time, should we briefly? go over do you want me to start on on do you want to end we can end on a positive note or negative note about the adaptation so do you want me to start or do you want to go um you go first because i think at okay, some point i hate it <laughs> i was gonna say i think at some point in the past i did talk about it but we'll we'll talk about it properly now because so we, we we did talk about it at length when the news was announced that they were charging 30 or 25 dollars or whatever the amount ended up being and how dare they because it's awful um <laughs> the it it so the kind of mission of the so it does have this we're talking well we're not going to talk about the sequel the anime sequel mulan 2 which is to, except to say sarah hasn't seen it because she's lucky and it's bad uh it you would probably be better off not watching it although if you like punishment and torturing yourself maybe it'll be fun for an hour and 10 minutes um but the the 2020 brand new the newest disney live action um adaptation is mulan uh directed by nikki caro it was a a big set out to be a big blockbuster film they initially originally tried to do a live action film um in 2010 that was eventually scrapped and replaced with this one six seven years later it uh, finally came out uh in 2020 but it's been in They've had the idea for many, many years. Um, I found it to be very generic, uh, very a very poor imitation of like a Chinese martial arts film, um, uninspiring, uninteresting, and uh, pretty pretty clumsy and pretty sloppy. To be honest, I thought it was poorly edited, poorly put together, um, and very boring. Uh, it, it's one. It, it's it kind of took everything about Mulan, which is the fact that it's a super fun, delightful experience, and stripped all the fun from it. It is so serious. It has like a couple of, I guess you could call them jokes, um, but it's it's it was not the one for me. It is pretty far down on the already quite sad list of adaptations <laughs> for me. But I know you can end it on a more positive note because I know you feel very differently about it. Yeah, I I do like it. I will caveat that by saying I have not gone back to it since I watched it for the first time and I've not had a really strong desire to. I think I will probably revisit it at some point in the future and I fear that my opinion on it will change. So I'm quite happy just like living in my little bubble at the moment of where I like this film because it does feel like the sort of one like where I go back to it, I will be like, actually, maybe not um because <laughs> as you pointed out to me before we started recording i was starved for new content uh when this film came out i had not seen a new release since like february or march or something kind of like pre-pandemic so i'd not mm-hmm. seen like a new release since then this was like one of my most anticipated films i had tickets to see it like opening night and then obviously like the world caught fire and all the cinemas closed um mm-hmm. i did pay for it because i i was i justified it by saying you know this is one of my most anticipated films of the year i really yeah, want to see it so uh that's why i why i paid for it and i don't regret doing that at all because i actually did have a good time watching it and the thing that i appreciated about it was that it wasn't trying to be the animated film because my biggest criticism of the disney live action remakes is that they just try 
so hard to be like the animated one um Mm -hmm. and don't sort of really like carve out their own thing and i think that this it certainly succeeds in being very very different from the animated i agree and it it is worth saying that credit is due to trying to do something different rather than what we've seen a lot Mm. which is basically a shot for shot remake that inexplicably adds 30 to 40 minutes of time right yeah but i i this one's longer but at least it's different yeah i do agree with it it does sort of like strip away some of that that fun and i think if i watched it right now or obviously after after recording (laughs) having just watched the animated one i would probably have a very different opinion i don't think Mm -hmm. it's it's not the sort of one you watch the animated and then this um because i think that it is its own thing and i think that obviously you know in name it is mulan and it incorporates a lot of those elements from the animated and it is the same story kind of it makes some changes but well it's a lot it's a lot closer to the traditional uh poem story yes. ballad fairy tale thing yeah i liked what it did with the villain i i we won't get into it too much um just because of time but i i thought that was interesting i thought that it added if we're saying that one of the problems we have with mulan is is the the villain is a bit weaker i think that what the live action does is it it changes the villain so we we get a a new villain and um there's a lot more to that character and i like what they do with that character so that i think is one of its major strengths um and a strength as well is just not being uh like the lion king was which is a a shot for shot but also it's definitely (laughs) look i didn't like it but it's definitely better than the lion king yeah i think the best is still cinderella um yeah i don't i don't think there's a better a better one than that but um yeah you know what let's i think we should make a pledge now and i (laughs) I already am regretting it but let's say that for our wrap-up episode okay we will have watched them all so we can rank them accordingly um it can take up like 10 seconds of time we can just list them but there's only two i haven't seen i think so i will make sure they're watched okay um who knows what they'll spit out before we get there in like june july of next year (laughs) or this year uh, maybe there'll be like ten more. In which case, we can we can change this pledge. Yeah. Uh, presumably, I think there's only a couple more you need to watch, so might as well. Yeah. Okay. I yes. Let's do that. I refuse to rewatch the Lion King. I remember. Oh no, you don't have to re. You don't have to rewatch anything. Oh, fantastic. Yep. Great. Yeah. No. Oh no. 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 I won't do it. No. You do. I am not watching Lion King again. I just meant we'll have them. We'll have seen them all, so we can say what our favorite, least favorite, etc. Yes. I mean, I know what my least favorite is. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because I don't think there is an amount of money that someone could actually if someone like wanted to like pay my house oh yeah no come on now times are tough (laughs) someone wants to give me money to watch the lion king i'll do it i'd watch it for Uh, 10 quid to be honest i mean times are hard (laughs) (laughs) we're not fussy yeah yeah, okay 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 um is is there uh, you know how about i run through the themes yes. and then i know there was something you wanted to mention that you told me before um like a fun fact about about mulan and i have one yeah. as well yeah okay um so the four themes which uh we kind of introduced way back at the very beginning but just to kind of like a brief overview at the end of each episode um sidekicks obviously mushu uh cricky uh shan yu has a bird who is nameless um and the horse is named Khan and the horse is the horse doesn't have a whole lot to do except be a horse um but the horse is named actually after one of the animator's dogs um by the way i should mention this film does have a dog i forgot 
and Anya hates the dog in this movie. Oh no. Um, when I tell you, she erupted at this dog, uh, and then she was very chill for the rest of the movie, but she went berserk. I completely forgot it was there. I also forgot that it does nothing but bark. Uh, so it is a big enemy. It's an enemy of Anya, um, unfortunately for the dog. But lots of sidekicks, again, very emblematic of the 90s to have sidekick after sidekick after sidekick, but Mushu is definitely uh, the most prevalent and the loudest. Uh, and man of nature, it, it, it's there. I mean, China Chinese culture is very indebted to the relationship between man and nature, and you definitely get a sense of it when they're with in the, in the opening of the film, in the garden, and the ending in the garden, in the importance of that world for this family. But in the rest of the film, when they're training to be soldiers and stuff, it's not really a, a key theme. Um, absence of a parent? No. In fact, we're continuing a trend now, uh, which will cease to exist as of next week. Uh, but we have two films in a row where both parents are, are alive and well. We've now had in two movies in a row six parents <laughs> who are alive and well. Just all the living parents. We, uh, it's nice. It's charming. It's very different for Disney. Uh, so they're not absent. They're very much there. And they're they're delightful. There's even a grandparent. That's mm-hmm. how many parents there are in this. We get extra. <laughs> two films in a row. We get extra parents, Sarah. They are, they are showering us in parents, which is good because the next one has no parents. <laughs> Um, and they are very tragically absent. Um, but Disney death, there, there is not one. Um, however, there are many deaths, and I believe it does have, I think we talked about this mm. before, but I think it has the most deaths in, in a Disney film because basically all of the Huns are, are killed in that avalanche except for a small handful that come and raid the Imperial City later. Mm. Um, and I'll just, I'll just finish with my Mulan fact uh, before you go into yours because it's quite interesting and more encompassing of princesses in general. Um, but in the film, uh, Mulan kind of touches her hair a lot when she's when she's nervous or just generally. Um, and they actually took that from the voice actress uh, Ming-Na Wen, who is the speaking voice for Mulan, because they found that when she was recording, she would she would touch her hair a lot. And that um, that actually came up as like I think it, it went kind of viral on on Twitter the other day as like a movie detail. And then she commented that she still does that. Um, who and she's delightful. She's she's got a, a spot in in the one of the episodes of The Mandalorian, and she's mm-hmm. all over the place. She's she's a great actress. And um, one other thing, Leah Salonga, who was the singing voice for Jasmine, is also the singing voice of Mulan. And she was originally going to be the speaking voice, but they found that she didn't have a convincing deeper voice mm-hmm. um, for for Ping. Mm-hmm. So they went with uh, uh, Ming Nguyen instead. Yeah, I I really love all those like small details where they incorporate things like from the voice actors into the mm-hmm. character. I always think it's really it's really charming. It's really it makes it special. Yeah, and it's really sweet that that she is sort of like even now is sort of like yep, still do that. That's me. <laughs> so um, yeah, the thing that I found um, interesting was something that I picked up on was that even though there is a love interest in this, that this isn't really a romantic film in the way that we would perhaps expect um from a princess film and uh the thing that i found out is that mulan is the first disney princess not to have a kiss in her movie so the next uh princess uh without kissing is merida from brave followed by moana um and uh notably neither merida nor moana have love interests at all in their films so mulan is the only disney princess not to kiss her love interest so i thought that was pretty interesting and also fair play because uh shang as uh previously mentioned pretty beautiful so (laughs) yeah well a very cool thing about um, mulan is that it 
they kind of like try and shovel in a romance at the end, which I'm not a huge fan of, mm, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really do anything with it. And honestly, like the most romantic that these two get is like a potential dinner date. Yeah. And I'll take it. It's a, it's a huge win. Yeah. I have to say, I, I mentioned like right at the top, and I'll, I'll sort of say this quickly, is that is oh, yeah. my like one <laughs> my one problem with the film is this ending. Mm-hmm. Um, And my problems are twofold. Uh, <laughs> My problem is the sort of like really late shoehorning in of the romance it's implied we get it these characters have some sort of like chemistry and spark and then right at the end it's like hey he's here and look they're probably gonna get married and i was like cool okay could do without that but you know it's fine and then like the final final bit in the sort of like shrine temple thing with the ancestors just like bopping out to this music i just i just really don't feel it i just doesn't fit and it happens so late into the film as well that i'm kind of like oh great like it, i could i i was sort of like mm, you know the romance okay shoving it in there but i can live with it it's fine it at least feels part of the story and then they're just like just jamming out to this like slap bass at the end and i was like i don't want it's wild i don't want this <laughs> yeah the, actually one fun thing about the the ancestors is that two of them in the first sequence there's only two we see them in mm. uh but the, what two of them in the um opening sequence are the american gothic painting which yes. uh, for those listening who don't know it's the um the farmer with the the pitchfork and his his wife next to him uh so i thought that was delightful mm. um and you get that, uh, just to, to wrap up my thoughts on, I guess, is that you get that kind of, the same thing that kind of follows in the film, that trajectory of, like, um, shame and dishonor, which we haven't really talked too much about, but this idea of of honor is very, very important in, in Chinese culture, and indeed to Mulan and her family, and, and the whole reason, you know, she goes is to protect her father, but also to be honorable and to, mm-hmm. to maintain honor in the family, because she doesn't feel like she's going to be able to do it any other way, because she... She screws up in the the matchmaking scenario and all of that, which was really important to her to get honor for her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the beginning, they're kind of like, oh, well, it doesn't come from my side, the ancestors. And like, you know, it's your fault that she's like this. And then at the end, they're like, well, she's in my side, you know, and they, they kind of do a switch and they it just speaks to her her honor even further. You have that beautiful moment where the emperor bows to her and she changes. She single handedly changes the way that women are viewed in, in China, obviously not in real life, but in, in this film. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Love to see it. Yeah, we do. We do love to see it. Uh I just I could have done without that like really like final moment with the, <laughs> the answer. Oh, I, I agree. It makes no sense. Um, but I like the I like how it if it is gonna be there, I like the shift in the way they view Mulan. Yes. A very good point. And I do like Also the one dude's head is like a beach ball it talks about. That's fine. <laughs> and little cricky Again, is just it makes like no sense. I don't know why it's there. It doesn't it 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 it's nonsense, but it's fun nonsense at least. Yeah, isn't Cricky like playing like the drums as well and has got little sunglasses on so you betcha. <laughs> we get at least it gives us cricky and sunglasses All i right. don't know man it's it's wild it doesn't make any sense yeah i'm coming around to it best scene in the film uh because of cricky <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard of i'll make a man out of you it is only cricky and sunglasses yeah playing with watching the answers bat around <laughs> one of their heads. that's what it's all about absolutely okay the true heroes of this film are the ancestors <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> Alrighty. I mean, I get the sense that we could talk about this film for so much longer than the time we have, but um, I think we have covered uh, we have covered most of the bases here. But yeah, let it we've, we've covered everything. We'll we'll save your ears. Yeah, let it be known. I love this film, and when we get round to doing our uh, favorite Disney films, expect it to feature a 
not very highly. Um, <laughs> I I can't see anything topping this at this point. But stranger things have happened, and upon, upon reflection, right, little reference to the uh to the song there. Um, maybe I will change my mind. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yes, okay. I think that about wraps up our chat on Mulan. So of course, before we get out, actually, oh no, let me just go. Let go. Me, it, it's kind of funny because we talked a lot about the music, but. <laughs> The key thing that this film launched was Christina Aguilera's music career. Oh my gosh, um, yes. She has she does the cover for Reflection um, in the credits. And also, I don't know if you have any familiarity. Do you know who 98 Degrees are? Ew. <laughs> okay, so they, are, they were a boy band fronted by Nick Lachey. And they sing True to Your Heart with Stevie Wonder in the credits as well. Um, oh, and wow. I completely forgot the song existed, but I knew every word when it came back uh, because <laughs> I was obsessed with 98 Degrees when I was a kid. Uh, it was all about Backstreet Boys and Zinc and, and 98 Degrees to me. To, to this day, I don't think I can actually name a 98 Degrees song, but they had a poster on my wall. I could name many Backstreet Boys and sing many NSYNC songs, uh, not 98 Degrees, but they were on my wall. Uh, and I was very excited that on the Blu-ray there is the original music video of <laughs> 98 Degrees and Stevie Wonder. And it is nonsense. And it's the best kind of nonsense. That's very funny. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I have nothing else. To, I'll, I'll stop now. I'm wrapped up. But I just wanted to shout out to 98 Degrees because I never thought I'd have the opportunity. Yeah, those are the <laughs> parting words to this obscure 90s uh, pop band. Um Okay, yes, before, before we get out of here properly, um, I do, of course, want to say a huge thank you to our Patreons. Um, and they are Chris Wilson, Let There Be Light Productions, Zoe Baines, Daryl Griffiths, Sam Luck, Orla Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Andy Meakin, Fabiana Rosas, Hamish Calvert, Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento, and Per Morton. So a huge thank you to those guys. There is another did name. It, did the list get even longer? It did. Yeah. You know, by the end of this, <laughs> we're going to have like a separate podcast where we have to give the shout out. Love to see it. Yeah, I was I was honestly thinking just this morning that I might we might need to like divide up that list. So like I read like four, then you read four, and then I read <laughs> just because I have to take too many breaths now. So. <laughs> I need just a moment, a moment to pause. I'm, I'm open to that. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that the list becomes so long that, uh, like you said, it takes up like ten minutes in the podcast. That would be great. Um, <laughs> but yes, a huge thank you to those guys and to our other patreons as well. Um, as always, you can find out uh, how to become a patreon and the levels you can support at on Jumpcast's website. So Barry, thank you for what a, a wonderful, glorious time we have had discussing my favorite Disney film. Um, a pleasure as always so if you want to tell uh, the good people where they can find you on uh, Twitter and elsewhere sure on uh, Letterboxd you can find me at B Levitt L-E-V-I-T-T and on Twitter you can find me at B Levitt 93 yes indeedy and you can find me at Sarah Buddery on Twitter and you can find all of us at Jumpcast underscore you can check out all of our written reviews, features, interviews, news, and more at jumpcutonline.co.uk and go straight to jumpcutonline.co.uk forward slash jumpcast to find out where you can find all of our podcast episodes. The next Jumpcast episode will be dropping on Monday and we'll be back with a brand new Disney episode next Friday. We'll see you then. Yes. <laughs>